Bill Gursky of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting in Ottawa, Canada, and you're listening to An Intelligent Look at Terrorism, a podcast about, not surprisingly, all things terrorism. I would imagine that for most of my listeners, Mozambique is not something that comes across their radar most days. In fact, probably you don't know where it is in Africa. And yet, over the past little while, there have been a lot of news stories coming out of that part of the continent that are terrorism related. And so to better understand this, I thought I would bring in the person that I think knows the most about terrorism in Mozambique, and that's Jasmine Operman, who is currently an analyst with the Armed Conflict Location and Event Data Project, and she's joining me on the line from South Africa. So Jasmine, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Paul, and thank you for the invitation. Let's, let's start with the easy questions then. Uh, the news that I'm following, probably not as closely as you are, are that there are several uh, jihadi groups or Islamist extremist groups active in Mozambique. I've heard of a group called Al-Shabaab, which I don't think is the same Al-Shabaab in Somalia, as well as perhaps an Islamic State uh, affiliate called the Islamic State Central African Province. So what exactly is happening in Mozambique these days when it comes to terrorism? I think in terms of the groups being active, we have to be careful to make a distinction at this point in time between uh, the group uh, many people refer to as Anzar al-Sunnah or uh, Ahlu Sunnah by Yamu, uh, the group that came to the fore in 2015, just uh, for the first time that we picked them up, when we started seeing radicalization taking place and a very certain propaganda at play amongst the youth, spreading an extremist interpretation not familiar and akin to Garbud al This group has taken lead um, in the violent trajectory, as we'd seen with the first attacks in 2017. In 2019, the Islamic State Central Africa province, active in the DRC as well, has seized the opportunity in terms of global expansion to reach out and try to hijack the insurgency under that name. So it's not that we have two distinct groups, it's that we are seeing the Islamic State Central Africa trying and in the process of using the insurgency, propagating its campaign, and via foreign influences starting to spread their influence. Yes, Phil, I do foresee a situation as the Islamic State entrenches itself, that we are going to have a split within the insurgents, and let's call them al-Sunnah for the sake of a unified name, um, uh, where we're going to see people supporting the Islamic State versus those focusing on the local grievances, which we must not forget as driving forces in this insurgency. Uh, so in terms of the group formations, Let's, at this point in time, not try to make a distinction between the two groups as it has simply not presented itself as yet. We have okay, that, that's, sorry, that's interesting, Jasmine. We, when you talk about local grievances as being part of this, we often talk about grievances as a potential driver for terrorism. What are some of those local grievances in Mozambique that are at least feeding in part this maybe support or tolerance for some of, this inser- some of these insertion groups? It is a wide variety. Well, as you would know, any situation always complex in terms of local grievances. Um, but I think there are two parallels I want, and if you would allow me to explain. The local grievances um, relates primarily amongst the youth in terms of economic opportunities available, in terms of government uh, neglect of that area, which is actually so ironic. 
as the fight for freedom, the fight against the colonial powers, Portugal, started at Chai. So um, coming from that area. But since then, we have not seen a government reaching out in terms of development and skills taking a place. We have seen the youth being um, exposed or limited in their opportunities to um, Montepierre's area in terms of the ruby diamonds taking place and many times illegal activities. I don't call it illegal activities. I call it survival econ economy. The government also clamped down on that. And that created just high levels of frustration in terms of the neglect, the low skills, the low education um, within that area. Uh, if you also look at the more older people in terms of subsistence farming, suddenly that's been taken away from them. And that created further more tensions. But concurrently, film, concurrently an aspect that we cannot ignore is the extremist voice at play running with these local grievances. Um, we can trace that as far back as 2010, but 2015-16, we have seen the first foreign influences from Kenya and Tanzania, where the youth started in an identity formation process, where they identified themselves with an ideology coupled with a very strong message of being anti-government, not attending their schools, not wanting people to go to their hospitals. And that all culminated in what we have seen in Mosambuada prior in 2017. So the local grievances and the local roots cannot be ignored. But with that, I am arguing the extremist voice played a crucial role as a trigger in the execution of first attacks. Let me go maybe step back one step. Can you just outline a little bit for me and my listeners, what is the extent of Islam in the northern part of Mozambique? How far back does it go? How influential is it? And in your opinion, was was it this nature of, of how Islam is practiced in the area, coupled with the grievances that opened the door for the extremists to move in? Uh, we can trace the history of, Islam, of, of the Muslim communities in Cabo de Alpgadu way back into history. But I just want to caution your listeners. Let's just not fall into the trap of, by that, assuming that there were tensions with other religions. What we have seen, and, and Cabo de Alpgadu majority Muslim population, uh, what we have seen are internal tensions within the Muslim community. And this came into play with the influence of um, Salafism, your conservative interpretation of Saudi Arabia, Arabia, that then started directing and opposing the Muslim institutions, which have been seen as too close to government. And that created, created a schism between these institutions and between the youths falling for the more conservative Salafist approach. And now that is interesting because in the DRC, you've got more a tablik uh, issue, whereas in Mozambique, you sit more with a Salafist issue at play. Um, what then has happened, and it's interesting, is that the Muslim community sent a warning to government, there's a problem busy building up. 
But governments saw these tensions within the Muslim communities as internal problems that must be dealt with them by themselves and conveniently ignored it. So the tensions that has resulted in Cabo Delgado had a very specific and a very strong link to the outside world. I find that fascinating. And of course, you know, I'm sure you're aware that that's not the first time that we've accused the Saudis of sending their Salafist preachers, Wahhabist preachers around the world and creating a, an interpretation of Islam that is not indigenous to the area. You mentioned about the, the central government. So can you sort of give us an, an idea as how the government is dealing with this insurgency in the northern part of the country? Is it doing it well? Is it doing it not well? I've seen estimates that there are hundreds of thousands of people displaced from where the attacks are taking place. And maybe you can weigh in a little bit too on this whole notion about the discovery of offshore oil and how that has, has implications and is affecting this particular insurgency. Okay, first of all, in terms of government's approach, let's start there, Phil. I think it's a very important question. And mind me being frank, I think this insurgency could have been stopped in 2017 if government was just more aware of the implications. I think those that executed the attacks in 2017 never had an idea that we will sit with an insurgency so sophisticated and so organized as today. For government's interventions, we have seen a government like I've just explained to your listeners, saying it's an internal Muslim divide, deal with it. Then we went into a phase where government called them bandits. Just ignore them. They're nothing like a bunch of criminals. We went into a third phase, organized crime. Uh, as the main reason, and I want to make it clear to your listeners, although there are op op moments of opportunity, organized crime is not sponsoring this insurgency, please. Um, but that aside comment, um, when the Islamic State came to the fore, and as their sophistication increased, and when they gained control of Kusanga, Belabitsa, um, district, major districts in Cabo Delgado, we saw a government starting to wave the Islamic State flag more than the Islamic State. Um, trying to get attention to the problem of the insurgency. But the problem is more than that. The government security forces simply do not have the capacity nor the capability to be able to deal with this. Again, we have to go a bit back. We must understand since independence, the, if the military has always been on the losing end, when it comes to budget, when it comes to weapons, when it comes to supply lines, out of the fear of coup taking place. Suddenly, government is confronted with the Islamic State. They see the military option, the war on terror mindset as the only option available, and they went in with full force. Uh, to their own neglect, because sadly that did not fail. Even their containment strategy at this po point in time is highly questionable. What is interesting is that government remains set on a message that we will take care of our own sovereignty. So although we have seen recent calls to the EU uh, at the UN 
for support. That support is open-ended. I have not seen a compromise of allowing additional boots on the ground. And quite frankly, I don't see that solving the problem. But Mozambique needs help. It is not in a position to deal with it. And this is where the mercenary group, Dyke Advisory Group, comes in. If you would allow me, Phil, and I'm not talking um, mercenary activities uh, and justifying it, but wasn't it for DAG support? The situation would have been much worse. The air support they are providing, we've seen it this morning, 26 September at Ebo Island, um, where they played a very important role in preventing insurgents from reaching Ebo Island. But they are also frustrated because their cooperation with ground forces are not working because the ground forces are new, young soldiers being transported in buses, Phil, in buses to battlefield areas. So, uh, Jasmine, I, I read recently an interesting article uh, in African media that the European Union has offered to help Moza train some Mozambican forces in what they call anti-terrorism operations. In your opinion, uh, do the forces need that training? And is outside interference or outside involvement uh, a good idea at this time? I don't, Phil, to be frank with you, I don't think it is a question anymore of is this uh, a possibility? The insurgency has reached a stage with grave humanitarian implications where security is needed by an accountable, transparent force. So to ask the question, do they need support in terms of direct support? I am saying yes. And it's a pity that this that SADC is not in a position to be able to do it. But intervention now is needed. For as long as this insurgency goes on, the more oxygen we are giving to the Islamic State to hijack and run with this insurgency with grave implications. The, the answer short is, it's not a question, should we? It's a question that Mozambique needs help. But the problem is, Mozambique needs to admit it first. Okay, what about this notion that whenever we get foreign forces involved, like the Ethiopians in, in Somalia in 2005, 2006, that foreign forces, even if they're just training as opposed to involved in operations, actually feed terrorism by contributing to grievances? Uh, you know, if there's drone strikes that go awry or civilians die, that terrorist groups can use the presence of foreign forces to gain support as opposed to lose support. Where, where do you stand on that? I think we are sitting with the same risk in Cabo Delgado. I think we are sitting with a security force that is becoming a lawn to themselves. Uh, abusive behaviors. I just have to refer to the most recent video um, where that woman was shot uh, 36 or 39 times. Yeah, I saw uh, that, we, yeah. Uh, we are sitting with locals that do not trust any foreigners. Because of the LNG sector that also played its part there, we are sitting, hence, with a situation of people that have lost hope and trust in anyone caught in the middle between the security forces and 
um, the insurgents. So for any military intervention that is not determined by command and control and is very specific in how it's going to engage with the Mozambican security forces in an accountable manner, I am afraid that this is going to give, yes, that oxygen that we don't want to see in Cabo Delgado. So it's almost like we're in a damned if we do or damned if we don't situation. Exactly. The Mozambican forces can't do it themselves. As you said, they've been involved in some tremendous abuses on their own. And yet if we bring in foreigners, it makes the situation worse. So in, in your humble opinion, Jasmine, as someone who looks at the situation, uh, what would you advocate going forward? What should the best strategy be? I think first and foremost, there should be an acknowledgement of government. Uh, and I'm talking Mozambican government of the actual root causes of the insurgency. We have seen with Aiden, a development agency now at play, that they're trying. But their reach is simply not so deep in Cabo Delgado that it can immediately make a change. But we need to have a government willing to allow and willing to admit that there are failures that has to be addressed. So a short-term intervention, getting some level of stability is of vital importance, but on the precondition that it's an, a bilateral engage, not bilateral, multilateral engagement via the EU, um, it won't be SADC, uh, be it the EU, uh, it won't be the UN for how they define the risk there, but that there is a multilateral organization taking charge of the accountability and the behavior of forces with the government security forces and a government starting to get serious about how their forces are acting and behaving and a government stopped propagating victories, stopped propagating control for they do not have that at this point in time. But as for as long as that is not happening, the best intent intervention is going to end up becoming a driving force at hand. So we're going back to security followed by development, followed by political willingness to address this matter beyond the LNG sites. Well, that's a, that's a very uh, ambitious program for a government that doesn't seem to have been capable of doing it so far. So. If I could ask you this question, are you optimistic or pessimistic about the immediate future in northern Mozambique? I am pessimistic. I don't see this insurgency uh, coming to an end within the next five to ten years. We would be lucky if it does. I don't see. I see a government that has already taken sides with the LNG sector companies, Total, um, as an example. I see LNG companies uh, focusing on their own security at all costs, building security vacuums. There are now even talks of a French PMC uh, that we set to be, come into play to protect the, the LNG sites. Um, because of the massive amounts of money from an economic perspective, mm -hmm. I guess it makes sense. But for the rest of Cabo Delgado, I don't see the political willingness to deal with the issues at hand in a fair manner. And I cannot see that for as long as that is absent, we are going to be able to solve the problem and we're going to rely on NGOs 
to be able to deal with the humanitarian disaster currently at play. I appreciate your honesty. I, I think that's probably a very accurate uh, look at what's happening today and what's happening. You say five to ten years, that, that's rather frightening. Well, one last question, Jasmine. You know, we talk about Islamic State Central African Province. We've talked about, you know, this group that calls itself the Allied Democratic Forces in the DRC. They're anything but democratic. They're a jihadi group. Is there a fear that what's happening in Mozambique could spread to other countries, including perhaps South Africa or Tanzania? I, could this, you know, th- could this get out of control in the same way that Boko Haram, which started in Nigeria, is you know attacking in Chad, is, is attacking in neighboring countries, is that a realistic fear? You think that might come out if, if this thing is is remains unchecked for five to ten years, as you said? Unequivocally, yes. Uh, and I need to bring in a qualifier here: the Islamic State global expansion is built on its ideology, Dakfi ideology. It recognizes no borders. So we will not see a Cabo Delgado in South Africa or in Zimbabwe. Uh, Tanzania, the border area, different matter. But the Islamic State finding an institutionalized footprint full is going to allow them the opportunity to spread their extremist ideology, to use the self-starters, and to use the soft spots, like in South Africa, organized crime, to start presenting its face in a different format, but supporting the same ideology. And if I may say, Phil, this is what I can't understand about SADC. If I tell you and ask you 40 claims to credit in in any other region in this world, would you have ignored it? No, it, it sends a message. Why are we ignoring this? One, we don't know the Islamic State in this form and format. We are underestimating the regional implications. And we are confining the risk to a Cabo Delgado situation, which is not the risk that will present itself in Zimbabwe, in Namibia, in South Africa. Well, you present a very, very uh, pessimistic scenario. But I, as I said, uh, Jasmine, I really appreciate the fact you've been very candid and, and honest with me. And as, as I say to my listeners, I don't, I can't think of anyone else that I follow that knows Mozambique as well as you do. And obviously, the you know the Islamic State Central African Province is just one of many provinces and affiliates Islamic State has set up around the world. And I keep criticizing those that say, you know, Islamic State died when Abu Bakr mm-hmm. al-Baghdadi died. No, it didn't. The affiliates yeah. are doing very, very well in many parts of the world. And any last any last thoughts or, or, or statements from my listeners, Jasmine, before we sign off? I think what is important to understand about this insurgency, Philip, you would allow me. There's usually a question that comes up about the LNG sites and the role it plays. The LNG sectors have acted as an accelerator for the insurgency. It has created expectations amongst the youth for employment, which has not taken place. My humble opinion, Phil, even if it was not for the LNG side, we would have seen this insurgency just maybe at a later stage, emphasizing with that to your listeners, the role and the driving force of local discontent against government. Well, 
Well, again, <clears throat> um, I want to thank you for for coming on and, and being as brutally honest as you have, Jasmine. And, you know, for my listeners, I'm going to advise you uh, highly to follow Jasmine's writings. I've seen her in a variety of publications around the world. So one last time, Jasmine, thank you very, very much for coming on the podcast. It was very uh, a lot of information, a lot of insight, and I really want to thank you. Paul, thank you so much for inviting me, and I'm honored to be talking to an expert like you. <laughs> well, thank you. So that was my conversation with Jasmine Oberman about Mozambique. Uh, what do you think? Do you have any any insight or any experience in the area? Get a hold of me. You can reach me on, on email, borealisrisk at gmail.com or on Twitter at borealisaves. You can also find me on LinkedIn and on Facebook. If you like the content and want to subscribe, go to my website, borealisthreatenrisk.com. Hit the subscribe button. You'll get a free daily digest every day of all the blogs and podcasts and other material. Love to hear what your feedback is, maybe ideas for future podcasts. I'll talk to you again soon. Until then, stay safe.